Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Hello and welcome to those who are here in the room uh, with us and also to those uh, who are joining us online today. Well, we're continuing today in the book of James and uh, so you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. We're picking it up in James chapter 2 verses 14 through to 26. So go ahead and get out your Bibles, your your notepads, your pens, your your phones, however it is that you take some notes and uh, that's where we're going to be today, James 2, uh, 14 to 26. Hasn't it been a rich time? Uh, it's been a, a gr- great and a rich time, and so thank you so far to Ian and Patania uh, for opening uh, this series up for us. Uh, last night, uh, I had a very humbling preacher's moment, though, uh, last night, so I thought I'd just kind of share that with us today. I was uh, in, in the lounge room last night, working away, I'm just trying to get today's sermon finished, and uh, Ellie's uh, in the lounge room as well, trying to get Tommy down to sleep and having a little bit of trouble getting Tommy down to sleep. He just wouldn't go down. The lights were kind of dim, though, and we were kind of working away. And Ellie, Ellie has this thought. She goes, hey, Dan, 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 I want to get Tommy down to sleep. Give me your sermon to read him. <laughs> she read him uh, my sermon. He was down out <laughs> after five minutes. So, good thing is, uh, he's here today and he's already asleep. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to be shamed again uh, because of that. But no, I am very much, I mean, that's not going to be the case uh, today because uh, we're in a really, really important part of the book of James today and it's kind of like the, uh, the signature part of the book today and that's what we're kind of looking at. So I hope you're ready to kind of lean in and to be part of this. So we're going to kind of just dive straight in uh, today. James chapter 2, 14 through to 26. Have a look at verse 4. Uh, verse 14, and it says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Can such faith save them? You see, people claim many things, but they don't always back them up, do they? You, you know this to be true. You've gone to McDonald's, okay, and you're expecting this. And you received this, and don't tell me you don't go to McDonald's, I know that you do, okay? I know, you've gone getting that. Or you've brought vitamin water, okay, thinking that it's a healthier choice, only to discover that there is still seven teaspoons of sugar in vitamin water, did you know that? Seven, nearly as much as Coke in vitamin water. Or your local real estate agent, you hear your your local real estate agent talking up their exceptional sales records and quality service, yet selling their house through one of their competitors. Or you claim to be the world's biggest fan of the Friends sitcom, but you didn't even watch the reunion on Thursday night on Binge. You see, people claim many things but they don't always back it up. And when it comes to faith, it is easy to claim faith these days. It doesn't take much to say that you're a Christian. This is census year, right? So later on, we're going to have a chance to fill in the census. You're going to have a chance just to tick a box 
and you can say that you are a Christian. We can claim that we're a Christian just by posting a few Bible verses up on our Instagram or our Facebook pages. But James is warning us today that while it is easy to claim that we have faith with God, it may not be a genuine Christian faith. Have a look again at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that faith save you? Can such a faith save you, he asks. The answer, of course, is no. He says it's no good to claim to have faith if there's no deeds backing it up. Now, this is a confronting question and it captures our attention, doesn't it? And I think it's because we ask ourselves this question. Is James talking about me? Is James talking about me here? You see, James wants us to, to, he knows that the distance between our faith and, and our obedience matters. He knows that this is important and he knows that an unbelieving world finds it unbelievable when Christians say one thing but then go and do something else. And so in a way, he wants us to ask this question, uh, is, this, is this me? And he goes on. And in verse 17, he says, he says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then he bookends this whole passage with these words, So faith without deeds is dead. You see, here's the, here's the deal. It is possible to think you have things all sorted out with God, be a churchgoer even, and yet have a counterfeit or dead faith. So James is urging us to think about what's really going on in the inside and the outside of us that points to a genuine faith. Now I want us to jump uh, here to verse 24 because this is, as I said earlier, this is kind of like the key passage, but um, this, is, if that, if this is a key passage of the book of James, we're going to zoom right in now to the key verse. This is James's big idea. This is the heart of his letter and it's the heart of this passage. Take a look. It's verse 24. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, reading this should cause a few of us, or hopefully all of us, to raise a few eyebrows. We should be sitting there going, okay, what's going on here, James? What are you actually, what are you actually saying? This, this seems to be very contrary to a lot of things that Paul's speaking about, a lot of things that are actually all the way through the whole narrative of the scripture here. James, are you, have you kind, of lost, you kind of lost the plot right now as you, as, you write, uh, as you write this? Because, you see, the whole narrative of scripture and what Paul speaks about is salvation by grace through faith alone. But James seems to be saying something completely opposite. Take a look at what Paul says in Romans and Ephesians. Paul says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works. And then in Ephesians he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God, so that, um, not by works, so that no one can boast. And have a look what James says. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Paul says we're saved by faith alone and not by works. James says we're saved by works and not by faith alone. 
let's be honest, there's, there's no doubt about it that when we look at these passages side by side, there seems to be a contradiction. There seems to, these passages seem to clearly be at odds with one another. And over the years, this apparent contradiction has caused many people to disregard the book of James. Ian spoke about this kind of last week. Um, um, Luther wanted to just kind of take the whole book out, rip it out and get, and get rid of it. But it's also caused some people to disregard the Bible because of all the inconsistencies that are in there. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you are one of these people. You're here today and you're just journeying kind of with faith, but you're here and you're going, yep, Dan, that's exactly one of the reasons why I haven't gone all in with Jesus. I haven't gone all in with him because as I look at the book that we claim to follow, it says that you know, there's all these inconsistencies and these things that just don't add up. And so I don't feel that I can actually go all the way in with him. Well, let me just kind of today, as we go through this, just unpack this uh, a little because should we really be ripping James out of the Bible? Is that really what I'm saying? Get up here and say, okay, guys, let's just take our Bibles now and let's just take out the whole book of James, okay? Uh, or do we get rid of our, our faith altogether and just kind of throw it out uh, all together? Well, of course, the answer to that is no. Uh, why? Because context matters, right? Context actually matters. James and Paul are each fighting a battle for the gospel, but they're doing it on different fronts. Their context and purpose in writing is different. Paul was fighting a battle against many of the religious folk who what they were wanting to do is they were wanting to bolt things on or add things on to Jesus and to say that it was Jesus plus some other type of Jewish identity marker. So that's kind of where, where Paul's going. Whereas James, on the other hand, is kind of fighting a battle mainly with Paul's followers um, or you could say the irreligious folk who were talking about their faith but weren't walking out their faith. You see, there were people who knew Paul's teaching of salvation alone and they were just taking advantage of it. They're going, hey, hey, this is great. I just have to pray a prayer and then I'm saved and that's all that I need to do. It's grace, mate. It's grace. It's all grace. You know, I'm sinning more and more. Why? So that grace will abound more and more. So God gets more glory. And, uh, and that's what it's all about. There was people taking advantage of this. And James is writing into that. And this is still a problem today. You know this to be true today still. You know, oh, I'm okay. My parents go to church. Uh, I, uh, one day, I think, I think back in youth group, I put up my hand and went down the front one day. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe there's a God. See, James isn't proposing a new way of salvation. Rather, he's challenging how people understand and live out their salvation. You see, when Paul uses the word justified or righteous, he's talking about how someone is declared right or made right with God, how our debt is wiped clean. But James uses it differently. And James uses it to refer to how someone demonstrates or proves that they are right with God. You know, you, you know this to be the case. Someone might say to you, demonstrate it, show me, justify it. That's where James is coming from. Take a look at verse 24 again. 
These first little two words at the start make the difference. You see, and he's meaning this very literally, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It's easy to skip over these first two words, but they're important because they show us that James is not making a statement about how we are saved. Rather, he's making a statement about how we can see or how we can tell that somebody is justified. You see, James knows, James knows that we don't make ourselves right. He knows that Jesus does that. But the way we live demonstrates that we are right with God. And so James and Paul, they aren't actually at odds. Both of them would say that we are saved by faith alone, but that saving faith should never remain alone. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith should never remain alone. And this is what uh, Calvin actually said um, back, in the, back in the day. A faith that produces, a faith that works, is a faith that produces works. You say you're saved by faith in Jesus, James says, show me. Show me. Show me by your works. And this is what James is getting at here in his letter. This is what he's getting at here in this passage as he calls each of us to be those who walk the talk. Because if there's one thing that our culture can't tolerate from Christians, it's a lack of authenticity, isn't it? We know that to be the case. And so James wants to say, hey guys, you've got to get this right. Our hypocrisy is hurting our witness. We need to be those who walk the talk. And so James goes on. And he gives four examples uh, of faith. Two examples of what dead faith looks like and two examples of what living faith looks like. Have a look at verse 15. He says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James says that dead faith looks like empty compassion or simply religious sentiment. That's what he's saying here. If you see a fellow believer in real need and instead of meeting the person's physical needs for clothing, food or shelter, you instead just offer up some kind of pious prayer or some other kind of religious platitude, James says that's not on. It's dead faith. Wishing someone well while doing nothing to help them is useless. It's dead faith. If we're honest, though, there's been times in our lives uh, where we have offered up a pious prayer or quoted some religious waffle as a way to cover up a failure to act. You see, dead faith uses words as a substitute for action. Living faith, on the other hand, will do something to help. Living faith steps outside of our comfort zone at personal cost much of the time, to show mercy to those around us. And this is what Tim Keller says. Look at what he says. He says, Mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of being a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. Mercy is not optional or an addition to being a Christian. Rather, a life poured out in deeds of mercy is the inevitable sign of true faith. And of course, this is what James was saying back in James chapter 1, verse 27, when he says, Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. 
Church, this is why the ministry that we are doing here through Enrich Life is so critical. Through initiatives like Coach, Kids Coach, Clay Cup Cafe, Fresh Food Fridays, we are offering real practical support for those who are most powerless and vulnerable. Ministries like Enrich are not peripheral to the mission of the church. These are central to what it means for us to be the church. Really important that we can understand this. And James goes on in verse 18 and he says another example of dead faith. And he says that dead faith looks like empty confession or mere religious assent. Just saying, I believe. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James is anticipating something here. And here's what he's anticipating. He's anticipating that some people are going to want to split up faith and deeds. Uh, Some people are going to want to say something like this. Uh, You're more of a faith person. You're more of a thinking person. You're more of a theological person. uh, And you're more of a practical person. Uh, I can see that. So you take the the faith part of it and you take the, the deeds part of it. Okay? That's kind of what he's thinking is going to go on. But James says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this thing works. You cannot split faith and deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith, what? By my deeds. You see, faith and deeds fit together. They go together like peas and carrots. It's not optional for Christians to put their faith into practice. It's not optional. For you and I, those of us who follow Jesus, to put our faith into practice. And then to help us grasp this even more, he goes on and he refers to the Shema. And this is a great point. This this is a great point that he says here. Uh, The Shema uh, is the core Jewish teaching or confession uh, of faith. And it states that God is one. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And committed believers would and still do, in fact, recite this prayer every single day. And James says, James says, You believe that God is one? You say that every morning. Big deal. Big deal. The demons even believe that. The demons know that God is the one true God. But you know what? It doesn't do them any good. It just, it just scares them. The hairs on their arms may stand up, but they still refuse to obey and have their lives changed. They aren't friends of God. You see, good theology ought to be seen, not just heard. James doesn't let us get away with saying, I'm a head-thinking Christian. Living faith is more than words. Living faith is more than words. It's more than simply declaring we believe in God. It is actually demonstrating it. And then James goes on to give two real-life practical examples of what living faith uh, looks like. And he firstly refers uh, to Abraham, the, the patriarch of, uh, of faith. Have a look what he says. He says, You foolish 
person. Like at this point in time, he's thinking, hey, my argument's already been pretty good, I reckon. I've given you two pretty good examples, but if you still haven't kind of got this, uh, I'm going to kind of drive the point home now, right? And he kind of gives us two uh, examples. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Now, a um, little bit of story. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, Abraham was given this incredible promise from God that he would be the father of many nations, that his inheritance would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Now, this was crazy at the time. You've got to understand, this was crazy at the time. Um, Abraham is 75 years old, and him and Sarah, they thought that they could never have kids. Yet Abraham believed this promise from God. Jump forward a few chapters to chapter 21. 25 years later, at 100 years of age, Abraham is, and Sarah, Sarah are given Isaac. Okay, One chapter forward... Genesis chapter 22, when Isaac was only five years old, five years old, Abraham faced a huge test. He was told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. This request from God, it, it made little human sense. It, it just seems odd and a weird request. Isaac was the long-awaited child through whom those great promises would be fulfilled. Yet now God is telling him to sacrifice him on the altar. It's a dark, weighty part of the story, isn't it? But Abraham stands the test. And in the end, God stopped Abraham from doing this shocking thing and instead provided a lamb for Abraham to sacrifice instead. It's here, though, in this act that we see the legitimacy of Abraham's faith, don't we? We see here that Abraham's faith was more than just words. His faith was revealed to be a genuine and real friendship with God. What does James say? His faith and his actions were working together. And that's what counts. The second example that James gives is of, uh, of Rahab. Let's have a look at verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, Rahab and Abraham could not be any different, could they? Uh, he was a Jewish man, she was a Gentile woman, he was someone of wealth, she wasn't. He was a patriarch and she was a prostitute. And so at first Rahab appears to be an unlikely and an unexpected example of faith. But these differences are important for you and I. Here's why, because they show us that it's not just religious royalty like Abraham that can display such faith. All can have faith and all can show faith. No matter who you are or what you have done, you can display living faith. 
That's what these two examples tell us. This is why James puts them together. You see, God's people are ready to enter the promised land and to take over Jericho. Joshua, you remember, sent two spies ahead into the city to case out the joint. Word got out that the spies and this, um, were around, and so the authorities were going door to door to try to find them and to kill them. During the spies' mission, they come across Rahab. And incredibly, she doesn't just give a, wish you lads the best, okay? Go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Instead, she doesn't do that. Instead, she acts in light of what she believes to be true, covering for them, sending the authorities off in the wrong direction, ultimately allowing the spies to escape safely. Now, what I find fascinating about this little story that James tells us here is that in Joshua, in Joshua 2, 8 to 11, Rahab offers at this point in time the most amazing confession of faith. But you know what? James doesn't even refer to it. James doesn't even mention what she says. You know, she says, For the Lord your God is God of heaven above and on earth below. But James doesn't even mention it. Why? Because it's not what she said that showed her faith. It's that she translated her belief in God into action for God. Even though it was outright risky to do so. Abraham and Rahab show us that putting your belief into practice, even when it seems impossible or dangerous, this is authentic and genuine faith. This is the faith that counts. This is the faith that matters. This is the faith that saves. So today, James wants us to take an honest look at the state of our heart. He wants us to take an honest look at our faith. Yet I know that when we do this, we, we realise that we all respond to challenges, and I'm conscious that we all respond to challenges like this in different, in different ways. You see, some of us are harder on ourselves than we need to be. Uh, we more easily see our inconsistencies and our faults and our flaws, and we question whether or not we really are a Christian at all. If this is you... The danger is that you can sometimes fail to see the times where you do exhibit genuine deeds and show faith in action. Other people have the opposite uh, approach, the opposite problem. Some of us hear a challenge like this and we think, no worries, James, tick that off. I've got this sorted. You ought to see the fruit that's coming out of me. It's amazing. If this is you, then the danger is that you may overlook some genuine areas of your behaviour that, you are, that aren't actually lined up with your beliefs and God's ways. And so you may not easily see the rotten deeds. So whether you are one who too easily sees their flaws or too easily overlooks their flaws, I want to encourage you today to do this, to take some time to be with God to ask him to search your heart so that you can get a realistic view and picture of what's going on. Take some time to come to him and to ask him and to listen to him. Ask for his help today. That's number one. The second thing is I want you 
And I also encourage you to find a trusted friend and talk with them and listen to them about your own faith and how you might grow in living it out. And actually, you might have missed that first bit, not just talk to them, you might have missed the second bit, not just talk to them, but actually listen to them because they may also be able to point out some areas in your life where there perhaps are some flaws. But maybe you're here today or you're listening here online and as you've heard, James, it's actually become clear to you. Wow, I'm not actually a Christian. I actually want to become a Christian. I actually want to trust Jesus. I want to put my faith in him. And if this is you today, then that's a good thing. It's a good discovery to make, right? And so if that's you today, then the best thing that you can do today is to pray to God and to offer your life to him. After the service today, you might want to do that with someone who you came with or someone sitting near you. But just to say, God, I give myself to you. I ask Give me a living faith. I want a living, I want a living faith. So how, how do we truly change? How do we, how do we really change? How can we truly be those who live out our faith in action? Well, I'll tell you how. We do this by looking to the one who is greater than Rahab, Isaac, and Abraham. The only way we can truly change is by fixing our attention and our affections on Jesus. You see, like Rahab, like Rahab was an unlikely and unexpected example of faith, Jesus was an unlikely and unexpected saviour. Jesus too walked up a mountainside with his father and sacrificed his life on the cross so that we could escape the grip of sin and death. He was the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Because Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac, God said to him, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. So like Abraham, we too can know God loves us because he gave his only son, the one he loved, for you and I so that we could be one with him. You see, it's only possible to really change and to walk the talk by being captured by the beauty of Jesus. A Christian is someone who looks at the finished work of Jesus and is captured and captivated by that great act of faithfulness and in response is delighted to live their life for him and to show their faith in how they So let me close today with these words from Paul in Ephesians 2.10 that remind us that our faith is in Christ alone, but our faith should never remain alone because even Paul believes James. And he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And he goes on here and says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you stand with me today? And I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we would be a church and we would be a people who would align more closely. We, we, that we would close the gap 
more on our faith and our obedience, on what we say and what we do, on our beliefs and on our behaviours. Why? Because this stuff matters. It matters for you, it matters for your family, it matters for our church and it matters for our witness in the world. This is important. So today, will we be people who take time to seek out God, to hear from Him? He can challenge us. Comfort us in all this as well, all right, so that we can know how it is that we can continue to close the gap on our faith and obedience. So, Spirit of God, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that we can look to Jesus and that we can see, we can, we can, we can see him and then we can be changed. Lord, we want to be those who, who walk the talk. We want to be those who look more like Jesus. Our world needs more people who look more like Jesus. And we want to be those people. We want to be those people for our, for our families, for our community, for our church. And so, Lord, where there are areas in our heart, in our life right now that aren't aligned with your goodness, that aren't aligned with the things of heaven, Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would highlight those to us. And that we would confess them and that we would uh, realign ourselves with the things of you. And so, Lord, if there are people here today who are just feeling that nudge of you right now, allow them. Allow them just to keep opening up their heart. So if you're just feeling God challenge you here, don't close off. You might have done that too many times before. Now's not the time to close off. Now's the time just to open up. And to let his spirit prompt you and to challenge you, to move you forward, I pray. And Lord, for those of us here who may, uh, when we hear a message like this, just feel uh, that we are just all wrong, we're all flaws, we're all brokenness, we're all inconsistencies. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to just to know that they're, to know your goodness and just to be able to look to you afresh again. Uh, and to know, uh, to help allow you just to take us on the right direction. Take us down the right road, I pray. Encourage us, challenge us, Lord, whatever it is that we need. Holy Spirit, have your way today. We want to be those people who walk the talk. We want to be those people who put faith and deeds together. And Jesus, we just thank you for your salvation. Lord, we thank you that we cannot do it ourselves. We thank you that we, come, we can come before you and just throw ourselves upon you because it is all about you. We are more broken and flawed than we would ever dare know, but we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we could ever dare imagine. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would remind us of that truth today. And so we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Men. Well, we're going to close today. We're going to respond in song and we're going to lift our voices, aren't we? And we're going to praise the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit today and we're just going to allow him to continue to work in our hearts and in our lives and to make us more like King Jesus. So come on, let's, uh, let's worship. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au.
or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.